that was great. And um, Stefan, uh, it was just great for him to share for a few moments this morning. Uh, that is apostolic ministry. And um, uh, where people sort of break out into, um, into areas where there's nothing. And um, you still need to realize that um, in a nation where, where, it's perhaps just a tad loud, uh, Tim, um, in a nation that um, still has, we, we have all the ch- challenges spiritually of, uh, of, of the Christian message going out, but uh, you don't have to go very far to find a church. And um, you need to realize that in great swathes of Europe, that challenge is still there, that, that there are towns of considerable size at times, almost without any church whatsoever. So church planting is still a huge challenge in mainland Europe and some of those great nations. And Stefan has so faithfully worked away and uh, God's done some great things in him and we just felt the inspiration of that didn't we in those moments so glad that we're a church that believe in the Bible and opening the Bible and uh, this morning if, you, if you've got a Bible if you haven't don't worry I wonder if you'll go to Acts chapter 4 for a few moments and uh, I, I'm going to be around the book of Acts uh, pointing out a number of verses and um, we be- believe that God will, will bless us Acts chapter 4 I, I'll read Uh, A verse or two just before the ones I want to get to, just to give us a bit of context. But verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great or much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them for, for from time to time, Those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and distributed to anyone who has need. What a fantastic verse, isn't it? The grace of God was so amazing on this church that the generosity just went to another level. And then verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Our summer series that takes us through July and into August is entitled Unsung Heroes. We're looking week by week at different people, and there's going to be different people ministering during August as well, that we could clearly put under this category. Some of them little known, and some of them more well known. Last week at that tremendous baptismal service, Christians spoke about John the Baptist, a well-known character but living in a very understated way and pointing towards someone who he says is greater than I, to the extent that he said, I'm not even worthy to unfasten his sandals. That is a hero. That is someone that is prepared to give himself away for the greater purpose of God. And that is someone that is being used in a way that is beyond his imagination. And that's how God wants to take all of our lives. I reminded you when, I, when we launched this uh, little series a few weeks ago that I was in, a, a, in a, a, a meeting the very previous day where the speaker says, this is the day for heroes to stand up, and so it is. And this morning, we're going to talk about somebody that perhaps sits a little bit between those two descriptions that I've given. He's not little known, but he's also not somebody that we'd run to time and time again. But his name is Joseph, or if I spoke about Joseph this morning, I perhaps mean little But the disciples, the apostles, called him Barnabas, which means son 
of encouragement. And this morning, our unsung hero in these moments that we've got around the Word of God is Barnabas. Imagine, friends, this morning having your name changed to define what you are. This is what happened. This man's soul lived in the power of encouragement to others. It says, no, we can't call him Joseph anymore. But he's the son of Paraclesis. That's the original word in the language of the Greek New Testament. He is the son of encouragement. The word also means to comfort, to bring consolation, and to bring exhortation. He carried encouragement. You know that in the Bible, the way that people were named at times was of great significance. It brought a definition about them. People today still get named, don't they, um, uh, by different um, different. Uh, people, different influences. If you're as old as me, I know you can remember that little uh, weightlifter, uh, Caribbean weightlifter that used to lift for Great Britain. His name was Precious McKenzie. It was only about this side. He used to whoosh. And somebody said to him one day, why, why did you, what, Precious, it's, it's not a man's name, is it? You know? And he says, well, my mum and dad uh, were, were desperate for a child and nothing seemed to be happening. Then I came along and I was precious to them. And so this guy's defined from birth by being precious to his parents. And so we could go on and on. And here we've got a man. Now, let's forget him being called Joseph, the Levite from Cyprus. We've got to find another name for him. Because he's the son of encouragement. Brothers and sisters, the blessing of encouragement is so great. Because the power of discouragement is so real. And for a moment or two, I want to talk about discouragement. The prefix this means literally away from. Discouragement is such that it seeks to take away from us. It seeks to sap our strength and our courage when it's needed. And it can come to us in all sorts of ways. Paul Scanlon defines discouragement like this. He says, discouragement is the leukemia of the soul. It saps energy, robs joy. And undermines confidence. Discouragement whispers lethal lies into our minds. Like, it's not worth it. It's not going to happen. You won't make it. I wonder if you've been there at all. In those moments when you felt discouragement. Discouragement, friends, can come to people in all sorts of different ways. And it can get people to behave in all sorts of expressions. People can behave aggressively. They can behave unreasonably. They can behave harshly, foolishly, even bizarrely at times. As discouragement tightens its grip. Let me just give you three brief reasons, and I'm just going to bullet point them for discouragement. Number one, problems. Job chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upwards. And Jesus even promised in the Gospels that we wouldn't be trouble-free in this world. Now, we don't go looking for problems we don't go looking for issues, but the reality is life presents us with problems. We've been encouraging us, ourselves in our equipment series, which finished on Tuesday, to live in the light of eternity. It's actually the very thing that defines us as Christians, but we reminded ourselves again on Tuesday evening that it's not always easy to live in the light of eternity because we are so dominated by the now, by the temporal, by the urgent, by the issues, by the kids, by the bills, by the mortgage, by the car going wrong. All those things that pile into our lives at times and sometimes can give room for us feeling discouraged. Problems. And what about pain? 
The psalmist says that sorrow is in my heart. And great writers of history, C.S. Lewis, in a more modern time, Philip Yancey, and many others have sought to wrestle with this age-old problem of pain. Pain with, in the context of, of Christian rightly reminding us this morning as he brought the worship time to an end of a, of a God of love. There's a mystery in all of that. There are people that I've looked on, friends, over the years of ministry that have loved God with a passion and lived with continual pain. Pain physically, pain emotionally, pain relationally, pain psychologically. And so we could go on. We live in a world that expresses so often pain. And sometimes it can bring discouragement. And then what about people? Anybody ever had another person discourage them? Yeah, okay. Listen to this from Psalm 41 in the message. This is David speaking. He says, my enemies are wishing the worst for me. They make bets on the day I will die. If someone comes to see me, he mouths empty platitudes. All the while gathering gossip about me to entertain the street corner crowds. These friends who hate me whisper slanders all over the town. They form committees to plan misery for me. The rumor goes out, he's got some deadly disease. The doctors have given up on him. Even my best friends, the one I always told everything. He ate meals at my house all the time, has bitten my hand. I tell you, friends, when you go through an experience like that, if I can put it bluntly, where even your friends shaft you, it is room for being discouraged. And discouragement, friends, can come so great on our lives at times that it almost seems that there is a, a point of no return. Don't worry, I'm going to get to the positive in a moment. But I understand the power of discouragement. I understand the power of discouragement personally. I understand the power of discouragement, friends, in my ministry world of sitting with other leaders. Good men, good women of God, leading church, pitching up every week, preaching the word, leading the people of God, caring for the flock that come to a place of such discouragement in their life that there is almost room for no return. There's a good friend of Christian and mine who we pray for on a regular basis who has really lost his way in ministry. He can wrap it up in all sorts of things. The reality is discouragement bit. And he said no more. And that's why we need encouragers. That's why we need encouragers. So Winston Churchill says, courage is rightly esteemed as the first of human qualities. It's been said, it's the quality which guarantees all others. That's why the enemy understands the power of undermining it, because it affects everything else. Little wonder, friends, that the enemy loves to diss on our lives. Little wonder that he loves to take away from us, to impair us, to enfeeble us, to cause us to come to a place where, God, I'm not even sure if I can carry on. And we need to be encouraged. And the prefix for N is to cause to have. So as this seeks to take away, N seeks to cause us to have courage built into our lives. Now here's the challenge, friends. It may be that you come to church this morning discouraged. And it may be that you need to be on the receiving end of encouragement. But here's how it works. If even in your discouragement this morning, you will commit to being encouraged, to being an encourager, 
then what you sow, you will reap. In other words, if you determine, even if it seems dark for you today, to seek to reach out and bless somebody else, the law of return will kick into your life, and when you least expect it, encouragement will come your way. Some people that forever want to be encouraged have not understood the, the, the principle of sowing into other people. And guess what? They maintain a place of permanent discouragement. And so my encouragement to you this morning, as an encourager, is friends for us to look around and see where we can give cause for other people to live this Christian faith with courage. I get it wrong at times, but there's 10 things in the front of my Bible that are defined as the fourth lap of my life. And they are things that I'm going to keep running to and running to and running to. One is an encourager. I'd like to be better as an encourager, but friends, every Monday morning I hit my desk. I want to encourage somebody. I want to, if it's just one person that week, if it's an email, if it's a conversation, if it's a text, if it's a card, if it's a phone call, I want to encourage one person. Sometimes I'll know I'm doing it and sometimes I won't have a clue. Sometimes people will be on the end of it saying thank you. Sometimes I'll walk away, but they've walked away blessed by what I've said and I've not even known it. That doesn't matter. But being encouragers, giving people the courage to say, yes, I can continue to do what God has called me to do. Encouragement is expressed through thoughtfulness. Encouragement is expressed through hospitality. Encouragement is expressed through kind actions. And encouragement powerfully is verbalized. Verbalized. You can do it, Christian. God is for you. God is with you. Those sorts of statements that empower people to live with the courage of God. And Barnabas, no, 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 we can't call him Joseph. He's the son of Paraclesis. He just goes around everywhere encouraging people. And I'll give you three examples of the power of encouragement through this man's life. Number one, by believing in someone. In Acts chapter 9 and verses 26 to 28, it speaks about Barnabas taking hold of Saul. Now, you'll know Acts chapter 9, those of you that have been Christians for any length of time, it's the amazing conversion of Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3 that he was creating havoc in the church. People were in prison, and it's almost certainly, friends, that Christians died because of this man's uh, uh, um, anger and opposition to the Christian faith. He's going north from Jerusalem up into modern-day Syria, still the capital city of that nation today, breathing murderous threats to the church in Damascus. The people are quaking and fearful, and the risen Jesus meets with him in the road and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There's a divine confrontation There's something amazing that takes place. And rather than him leading a host of people into the city uh, with threats, he's led in as a blind man through the city gates. God, by the Holy Spirit, speaks to Ananias. He says, Ananias, you're the catalyst to bring about my blessing. That's the economy of God. He does a miracle in terms of speaking to somebody from the sky. Then gets hold of a little guy, another unsung hero, and says, you go and pray for him. And so Ananias goes to pray for him eventually. Read the dialogue. There's a little bit of... God, but we've, we've heard about this. Yeah, I know, but you just need to go. 
And so Ananias goes, lays hands on him, and says, Brother Saul, he's healed of his blindness, he's filled with the Holy Ghost, and he's baptized. It's an amazing story. Saul escapes from Damascus and makes his way back to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 26 that when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Not believing that he was a real disciple. Whoa, this is the apostolic church that's leading the gospel to the world. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Paul on his, uh, on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of, the, of, of, of Jesus. Some commentators say that the disciples were so worried about him, they thought he was the fifth column, they thought he was a spy. They thought he was seeking to infiltrate the apostolic band and then take the, the, the reports back to the authorities so that it would blow this thing apart. They were frightened of him, but this man saw something else and got him to stay with the apostles. And then if you go into Acts chapter 11 and verse 25, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now the Bible goes on at a pace, but most commentators believe there was something like 13 years from Saul's conversion on the Damascus Road to the beginning of his first missionary journey in Antioch. And he retreated into Tarsus. That's where he entered the process. That's where he got discipled. That's where he enjoyed revelation. That's where he prepared himself to be the most effective apostolic leader outside of Jesus that the world's ever seen. But as Barnabas, and I'll come back to Antioch in a moment, as Barnabas is north in Antioch, he goes to Tarsus to look again for Saul. Chapter 11, verse, sorry, chapter 12, verse 26, talks about Barnabas and Paul. Chapter 13, verse 1, the Holy Spirit says unto me, set apart Barnabas and Paul for the work of the ministry that I've called them to do. But at the end of the first missionary journey, Chapter 13, verse 43, chapter 13, verse 46 and 50, chapter 15, verse 2. Not now Barnabas and Paul, but Paul and Barnabas. The roles had shifted. You see, an encouragement, friends, is wrapped up in humility, surrender, and big-heartedness to believe in someone else that they can become greater than you could ever be. And it really doesn't matter as long as Jesus gets all the glory believing in someone and then secondly empowering someone Acts chapter 11 verse 22 news of this that was people coming to the Lord news of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch when he arrived and saw evidence of the grace of God he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. If you read those previous verses, you'll realize that the church was being scattered by persecution. It was going north, south, east, and west. It was moving forward, and a community of believers had began to be established in Antioch, north of Jerusalem. The apostolic team heard about it. They said, we need to send someone here. We'll send Barnabas. And Barnabas arrived in this Antioch church to minister to the people. 
Friends, he didn't come cynically. He didn't come critically. He didn't come doubtfully. He didn't come with that raised eyebrow saying, yeah, I wonder if this is really true. He says that when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He recognized, and encourage your friends, recognizes the grace of God at work in people's hearts. And encourager rejoices when God is doing a great thing. And encourager doesn't say, well, the church down the road's growing more than our church, and I'm not very happy about that. And I heard that so-and-so sort of getting a profile in ministry. I don't seem to be getting a profile in ministry. I'm not happy about that. And encourager, friends, just rejoices in what God is doing. How many of you know that lots of Christians find it easier to weep with those that weep rather than to rejoice with those that rejoice? And we've got to do both. We've got to do both. And encouragers rejoice with those that rejoice. He gave courage to that church. He stirred them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He didn't take away. He gave to them. And the impact of this, well, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. They were so following Christ. They were so Christian in their life. It became a nickname originally. And of course, it's the banner under which we live as Christian believers today. They were first called Christians at Antioch. And then they did what we do every month. They had a mercy offering. Because verse 27 says, During this time, some prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus, and he stood up through the Spirit, predicting a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. The disciples, each according to their ability, decided to provide help for their brothers in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Paul. Amazing. His encouragement to them meant that they were an encouragement to the church in Judea. That's how it works. That's how it works. It's like a pinball machine. It's just bouncing off all sorts of people, all sorts of times. The prophet rises up and says, there's going to be a famine south. Okay, let's take a mercy offering up and help people. And I tell you, friends, every time Christian mentions food bank, I'm, I'm sort of... I've got to preach in a minute, Christian. Yeah. Because there's a mercy need on our doorstep. People in this church are understanding the power of encouragement. It touches one, then it goes to them, then it goes to them. Then we get somebody in the authority talking to Sandy this week and it comes back to us, and then it goes out again. It goes, and we've only just started. Believing in someone, empowering someone, finally rescuing someone. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, that's they'd taken the mercy offering to Jerusalem, they returned, taking with them John, also called Mark, sometimes described as John Mark. First missionary journey, chapter 13, verse 5. It says these words. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue. 
and John Mark was with them as a helper. We'd call him a bag carrier nowadays. We'd call him, you want to come on mission with me? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm coming. All seemed well until we get to verse 13. Because from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and to Pamphylia, where John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. I don't know whether he got homesick. I don't know whether he was missing his mum's stinking kidney pie. I don't know what happened, friends, but this guy, jumped ship, young Christian, immature, callow, and these guys were on mission. He bolted it back home. And so we come to chapter 15, because they did that first missionary journey, and now they're organizing the next one. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Poor a bit driven, you get that, don't you? He wasn't pleased with that. Now the Bible's beautiful in its language because it then goes on to say there was a sharp disagreement they had a barney they had a rookie they had a sharp disagreement you see barnabas encouraged he wasn't a roller friends he was a real man he was a real leader of god's people so paul says there's absolutely no way he's coming with us because of what happened last time but the encourager says well i'd like him to come no okay so what happened Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus. And Paul got hold of Silas, another companion, second missionary journey. And they went back on the second missionary journey. And I think that just reflects Paul and Barnabas. I, I think Paul was an encourager as well. But um, he certainly didn't suffer fools gladly. And you just get a little flavor of that in the scriptures. And at this particular time, friends, he was no, in no mood to forgive John Mark's earlier indiscretion. But Barnabas sought to bring a salvage operation into plan. I said, go again, son. We know you messed up. We know you ran home to your mum. But we believe in you. We believe that there's something of God in your life. And I want you to come with me. Now we get to 2 Timothy 4, 11. Some years later, Paul, towards the end of his life, writing to Timothy, listen. Paul says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in the ministry. Now he'll claim that God healed him. It was all down to him. But I want to tell you, friends, it was all because of Barnabas. But the whole thing turned around. We don't get the insights in the scriptures, but clearly there'd been a restoring of relationship, not only between Barnabas and Mark, but also between Paul and Mark. Bring him with you, Timothy, because he's helpful to me in the ministry. Brothers and sisters, there are people all around us that need rescuing. Some of them are in the church and mess up. Oh, that's it. No, go again, son. You can still do it. And some of them are out there 
not thinking what Christians said today, that God loves them. And some of you come across them in your walk, in your life, in your social context, in simply coming across them in Tesco's. It doesn't have to be a 15-minute sermon. But hey, it would be really great to see you in an arena sometime soon. Oh. And they walk away, friends, not taken from, but given to. The courage to go again on this journey of faith. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, <laughs> we'd only give him a passing glance. But Barnabas, we sit up. The New Testament makes very little, not none, but very, very little reference to his preaching. But the son of encouragement's impact was used, was huge. And I just want to encourage, this is all totally applied to me, I applied to you. Brothers and sisters, in this age of enormous discouragement at times, the enemy has no sentiment whatsoever if he can use problems if he can use pain if he can use people to take away from you and enfeeble your faith he will do it i know god is the ultimate encourager i know he's the ultimate source i know that he's always there but the reality is he uses so often people to make a connection to others hearts this works often unseen. It's often unheralded. It's probably not going to get you a platform. But if you'll believe in someone, if you'll empower someone, if you'll rescue someone, then I'll tell you, friends, that is an amazing work. If you'll carry a Barnabas spirit, you can have a similar act, you can have a similar impact to this man. And I want to say, friends, that without doubt. When we live as sons and daughters of encouragement, we join the band of the unsung heroes. I wonder if the guys would just come on the platform. We're gonna we're gonna finish.